You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 578, a World Cup quiz. And will Gary Neville win in Qatar? The rise and fall and rise and fall of James Corden. Remembering Leslie Phillips. And in 2022, do we laugh or cringe at carry-on films? That's all coming up after Department S. And is Vic there? very embodiment of the adage that everyone has one hit song in them and this was the mm. one and only um for this band foolishly they put a t-rex cover version on the b-side ensuring that they had to split all royalties with oh, Mark that's so on their annoying what do people one do and only this, hit um half their income but if you're only going to have one hit this is a cracker from 1980 uh, and number 22 in the uk department s and is vic there it's great. There's there's such drama to that record. It's <laughs> it's really brilliant. It's one of those things. I came across it on a compilation when I was sort of in my mm. early twenties. There was a sort of I can't remember what it was called now, but it was like this kind of amazing sort of 
amazing hits, but it was it had a very much had a post punk new wave yes. kind of kind of tilt to it. And in amongst things that I already knew, like Squeeze and Blondie and stuff like that, I never heard that before. And I remember wanting to investigate more about them, and it turns out there was nothing more to investigate Indeed. about them. That is their yes. only hit. But like you say, it's an absolute cracker. Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 578. I'm Terence Stackham and increasing her majority after the midterms, it's (laughs) Juliet Harris. Indeed. I'm only slightly out of control now rather than completely out of control, which is good to know, isn't it? Hello, everybody. As we record this, the 2022 Football World Cup is only just over a week Mm. away. So my lovely gift to you is a yes. splendid World Cup mini quiz. <laughs> Hooray! We love a quiz. Come on, But with gang, a music perspective. And, Lovely. Um, it's almost I'm like you've tailored this to things I'm interested in. Exactly. Thank you, well, I'm going to give you, Juliet, and you, the listener, mm. yeah, lyrics from official World Cup songs. Mm. I may offer a clue, but you may not need them, I think. Right, okay. Uh, I want to know the country the songs are representing. Oh, and yes. Bonus points for the artists if you know them, and even more bonus points for judging which World Cup these songs are from. Oh, my gosh. Right. Okay. There's five examples. Um, Advanced warning. Some countries may appear more than once. I mean, I I think we can all sense which country is going to appear more than once. But let's give it a go. You probably can. And uh, three out of five um, to win the Jules Rimet trophy. Ah, indeed. Still gleaming. (laughs) Maybe that will come up. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Actually, it doesn't. Um, Oh. Oh what? That's that's uh-huh. what that's one guaranteed point uh, I thought I was exactly, gonna get. Exactly, yes, yeah, I was gonna make it that easy. Right, here we go. Um opening uh, um uh, lyrics from a uh, World Cup song. And um I'll give you a further clue on this one if you're not too sure. Ole Ola, Ole Ola, we're going to bring the World Cup World Cup back from over the um oh wow okay um give you another line from it because it's before your time um i believe is is the team scotland it is scotland is the performer rod stewart the performer is rod stewart i'm not sure I'm not sure what the song is called. I presume it's called Ole Ola or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's fine. Yeah, that's, that, yes. But what do you know? What year this would have been from? Oh, I've given you a big clue by saying it was before your time. Seventy-eight. Correct. On hey! all fronts. Reach number four um, on the UK top forty. Scotland finished third in their group and didn't proceed mm. on goal difference, so they didn't bring the World Cup back from over there. That's a shame. Never mind. Uh, this the next one I think is probably the only one where I am going to have to give you an extra clue okay, and that won't right. that won't take away from your score. Um, this is the opening uh, couplet: "Glory land in glory land, you're here in glory land. It started with a feeling, and a dream was born in you." I mean that is beautiful. <laughs> However, I really don't know what is going on. So, exactly. um, so I'm going to give you that extra clue. It was by Daryl Hall ooh. and the Sounds of Blackness. Daryl Hall a, being key. Ah, uh, okay. In which case, that's a bit of a clue. I don't know what the song is called, but I suspect this. It's is called Gloryland. So yeah, it's okay. fine. Isn't it? I suspect it's for the USA. It is for the USA. In which case, I suspect this will be for USA 1994. Correct again on all fronts. The logic, the, yeah, the logic. I mean, that that is. 
What an unlikely person to do a World Cup song. That's why I picked it. <laughs> I right. would never, I, I couldn't remember it and I didn't know of it, but when I was doing the research to put this quiz together, I thought, mm. Daryl Hall? I know, you know it, it pings thing. the ear, doesn't it? I'm yeah. I'm such a, so USA 94 was the first World Cup that I that I ever remember properly. Oh, yes. I, I can just about remember Italian mm. 90, but I don't, even even despite Gaza, I don't even really remember what happened. And I'm a, I'm just... If I'm ever sad, Terence, about anything or feel like I need to pick me up, <laughs> Diana Ross missing the penalty at the beginning of the the opening ceremony. Oh, God, the, it's, USA, it's, it's excruciating. I mean, it's excruciating. But what I love about it and her is that she absolutely, I mean, they've made it the softest penalty ever. Yes. She scoops it to one side. It's an awful penalty. The goal explodes anyway because that's what they meant <laughs> to do. And I love the fact she just runs straight on and just gets on with it. She's <laughs> not that arsed. Clearly that she's just missed the penalty. And I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of but find being the Diana Ross missing a penalty at USA that one wishes to see in the world. And once again, um, Daryl Hall didn't really help his country because they finished <laughs> third in their group and didn't uh, go on into the knockout Indeed. rounds. Indeed. Now, this one, I think if you don't remember it, I think there's a huge clue in these opening two lines. Oh, go number on. Number three. They thought it was all over, but it's only just begun. The cup of Eastern promise in the land of the rising sun. Ah, okay. Official World Cup song. When and for who and what tournament? Okay. Um, it's, ah, I think I recognise this. So this is going to be... Um, it's going to be one of the um, one of the sort of uh, Eastern Eastern World yes. World Cups, Correct. isn't it? Um, in which case, I think it's likely. I don't think this is Japan '98, so I think this is going to be for the 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 the, the one that took place in in Korea. South so, Korea and Japan shared yeah. it. You're correct. Oh, that's um, right. Yes. Yeah. In which we- case, I believe that's we're on the ball by Anton Deck. Very good. I, and I, I hadn't remembered that at all. I had no, no memory and, of it. And it's um yeah, yeah, and it's that's that was oh god. Um let me let me count up the World Cups. <laughs> um twenty fourteen? 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is, they also did Sven, 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 Goran Eriksson, which I remember correctly. Did they, which, which, oh, my God. I, I forgot I, all I, of I believe that history is treated that. Less, of course, it was 2002. What am I thinking? That's mm. ridiculous. Yeah. That was, that was the World Cup when mine had to get up at extremely silly times. <laughs> To yes. watch England be quite average, if I remember correctly. Well, again, yes, it, uh, Anton Deck didn't bring much joy because we lost to Brazil in the quarterfinal. So, mm. um, but you doing... suppose it didn't really have much shame in it because that was, you know, that, no. that, that, that was an unkind draw, I think. But anyway, three, three out of three. Oh, nice. So okay. Opening lines uh, for another one here. So long, go on and do your best. Let all France have whiskey on its breath. Oh, I think is this is this Delamitri? It is Delamitri. This is, oh, right. my, one of my favourite World Cup songs ever because it is so pragmatic. <laughs> um, don't don't come home too soon. For as you say, uh, uh, France ninety eight. <laughs> they did, didn't they? I think that uh, my favourite line from that song, even long shots make it. I think it's such a it's so underrated. I think it's brilliant finished bottom of their group with one point so <laughs> i mean it was a bit of a self-fulfilling promise wasn't yes. it right well, you're doing brilliantly you've got them all so far number five last one 
<laughs> these words i'm so sorry we're on our <laughs> way <laughs> we're on our way we are rons 22 hear the roar of the red white and blue oh okay um so this is going to be i presume this is going to be when ron greenwood was managing england so um england it is that's one tick yeah seven seventy four eighty two Oh, oh gosh, right, okay. Um, do you remember what it's called? N- I'm not, I'm not sure if I do. Um, I sadly, don't. Sadly, sadly, once again, not living up to its title. This time, we'll get it right. Ah, uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with the, with the title of the song now. England, yes, went, out the, England went out at the second group stage, oh, drawing dear. both their games nil nil. How um, interesting! There was a second group stage. Yes, I know. What was, was that about? Odd. Indeed, you, you had the first group stage, then there was a second group stage with three teams in it, and oh, wow. the top four went into the semi-finals. And did that I'd work, did that that work well. go on for like, to like the whole year? Because that was like <laughs> yeah. a very long format. Three-month-long World Cup, yes, it was in Spain, Crazy. won by Italy, and... Um, I I didn't remember this, so no, uh, this is this is no detriment to you. But do you know who who wrote? We're on our way. We're Ron's twenty two. Um, it was written by the blokes from Smokey. Oh my! I would never it, have got that have in got a that million either, years. No. Goodness me! I mean, no wonder it wasn't exactly a a, a crusher. <laughs> I was hoping for I was hoping for back home, and that's that's probably my favourite. Uh, They'll favorite be thinking about us and cheering. But we are far away. Yeah. Yes, I think that's also. So if if people want this, somehow under some unlikely circumstance, people wish to hear more World Cup themed music, mm. I would very much recommend this random compilation. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> this random compilation I found when I was um, on holiday in Hay on Y, some years after the event, um, there was a compilation album um, released on an alternative um, label mm-hmm. um, it, 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 to celebrate the fact that Japan was hosting its first World Cup in 1998. And so they had, or rather, Japan was participating in its first World Cup in 1998, which which was obviously France 98. And it's called Bend It Japan. And it's got various weird covers oh on God. it. And there is a cover of Back Home by somebody billing themselves Fantastic Everlasting Gobstopper. And it is just a load of Japanese kids singing. And it's already great. I can't believe that it's as unlikely <laughs> enjoyable. There's also a, there's also an artist on this. I think it was a couple of women who were very much inspired by Julian Cope. And so the name of their band is Screaming, uh, Seagull Screaming Kiss Her Kiss Her. So um, I would I would recommend that as a, as, a, as a digging out, particularly the lovely version of Back Home by various Japanese school children who are probably now all old enough to be running major yes. global corporations, I sense. But anyway. Well, ole, ola, because as we're on a World Cup uh, roll, mm. I have a, I've got a simple question for you. We're about a oh, week ahead on. of the opening of the World Cup, Jules. Who's going to win it? I'll, I'll take your main choice and your second choice. OK, well, can I just say, first off, I'm not very sure and I'm not sure I care, Sir Terence. I can't mm. I can't build up much enthusiasm for I, this I World Cup for multiple reasons. I suspect mm. we will discuss this in, in more mm. detail in a minute. But um, to the combination of 
why is this happening now? Why have mm. we given why have we given the, the World Cup to a country where we have to play in November because we cannot play at a normal time? Which suggests to me it's not a football country, is it? Qatar, their uh, their first World Cup, I believe, because they've qualified as hosts. I won't mm. be tipping them to win. Um, uh, it's, it, the whole thing feels like it has nothing to do with football, and that's before yeah. you even dig in a little bit below and find all the corruption, the you know the st- the, the many many deaths of innocent workers in the stadium being constructed mm. the terrible comments that people are making about homosexuality um it's 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 not for me this i mean i will end up watching bits of it yeah. partly because i'm going to visit a friend of mine and his son who is 40 and his wife and uh, the son is 14 months old and so it's sebastian's first world cup and i have of course of course bought sebastian a full italia 93rd england kit for him <laughs> to wear because why would you not do that and so of course, inevitably of course. we will all be sat there in our little kits um I'll, I'll be there for the england versus usa match and i suspect we'll be sat there you know, with our drinks. Can mm. I just point out as well, that will not be of the quality of the Lionesses versus USA that I watched a couple mm. of weeks ago. I think I can put money on that. But um, yeah, so I'm struggling to build up enthusiasm for this World Cup, which makes me very sad, Terence, because I love big things. I, I love know. major football tournaments. I love Olympics. I love all the stuff like that. It's brilliant. So, and I suspect I will end up idly watching some of the football, but they're playing in 40 degree heat. It's not going to be ideal, is it, really? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just... Anyway, okay, I will answer your question as asked because, I mean, and, and also, I mean, I could have this completely wrong. I'm often very wrong. But when you look down the list of the teams that have qualified, I can't find many that are that good, really. Mm. I'm sorry to put it, but, you know, are Iran or Australia or Qatar or Saudi Arabia or Senegal or Costa Rica or Ecuador or Serbia going to win the World Cup? No, they're not. And, and you know, so actually, in terms of deciding who's going to win the World Cup, I have to say it was looking for a team that I thought could be good rather than necessarily whittling it down, I must admit, which sounds really mean. And how many World Cups have I won? None. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no. I mean, I wish Wales every success. I don't think they will win the World Cup, but I wish them very well. England, who knows? I mean, I, I think that a lot of England's success last summer at the Euros was was pushed along by a home crowd. So I'd be interested to see how they cope here. Um, I will tip Germany for lack of any other options, I think. Fair enough. I, I um I share your view on the sort of excitement factor. So many of my friends are saying the same thing. It's sort of like, oh, mm. God, yeah, the World Cup. Mm. But um, I say, of course, Brazil are going to win it because what a squad. Yeah, fair enough. Alisson, yeah. Thiago Silva, Casemiro, Fabinho, yes, Neymar. Yes, you're probably right, yeah. Nikias Jr., the rest. I'm so looking forward to their games, I must say. But my yes. outsiders, and I think to be taken seriously, and you dismissed them with a oh, wave no. of your hand, Senegal. Current ah. Africa Cup of Nations champions. Look who they've got in their squad. Koulibaly, Idrissa Gay, uh, Mendy, uh, Kiyate, oh, Ismail Assar, Sadio I take this Mane. back. You make a very compelling argument. I take this back. Strong spine through the team. Look out for Senegal. Now, oh, well, I, I suppose I need to tip an outsider as well, don't I? Yeah, then, so you go for it. Outsider. Okay. I think that it might finally be the time where this all gels. I'm going to tip Belgium. Oh, that's not a bad people, tip. All, people yeah. always, I know they're always yeah. tipped every yeah. time because again yeah. they have incredible it's squads and squad. and they're all yeah. and they're always sort of tipped to win and it never quite comes together for whatever. They've had some unkind draws to be fair, but but yeah. they never quite seem to. But I think this might be the time. So let's see what happens. 
Now, like we say, many people are going to be watching this World Cup with a heavy heart and perhaps mm. even a feeling of betrayal because of, as you mentioned, Qatar's less than liberal approach to human yes. rights and um, people's lack of freedom to express their sexuality yes. how they wish. Of course, the World Cup should never have been awarded to this place. I'm totally yes. with you there. Yeah. Gary Neville, former Manchester mm. United and England defender, has been an articulate, outspoken critic on social issues through the, the yes. years, arguing on social media for justice from a leftish to centrist viewpoint. Yes, I think that's fair. How will his standing be viewed, Juliet, in the light of the news that he is to receive a significant sum for commentating at the World Cup in Qatar for the Qatari-owned Be In Sports? Indeed. And it is somebody has interrogated this on mm-hmm. television. So I, I have a I have a complicated relationship with the TV programme have, have I Got News For You in that I think it's sometimes a little bit like later with Jules Holland in that it is in its own right quite good, but it suffers for being the only thing of its sort on TV pretty much now, particularly particularly with the demise of Mock the Week, which I wasn't, we weren't keen on anyway. We have talked yeah, about that before, but, but it's the only kind of major satire program you would argue on, BB, on the TV generally now, and particularly at prime time as well. Yet somehow there's something about Have I Got News For You. I've always really enjoyed it. And yet there's a, big argument that it itself is responsible for the rise of people like Boris Johnson by making them joke Mm. figures and unleashing them onto the sort of the world so I'm always a little bit you know oh well you moan now have I got news for you but you are sort of slightly complicit in this sort of media chumocracy that launches these disasters on us in the first place having said this Ian, so they have guest hosts now. It changes every week. After the demise of Angus Deaton some years ago, they have guest hosts every week. And actually, weirdly, it's a format that has chosen that has been proved to work really well. It was initially started as a sort of a a stand-in thing, and it's been going, I think, for longer now than Angus Deaton actually hosted it, and yes, it works really so, well. Yeah. There are certain hosts that make regular appearances because they're very good. Alexander Armstrong, I think, is a regular host. Is excellent. Martin Clunes is always quite entertaining. Um, lots of people pop up fairly regularly Jess Phillips I think has been on more than once hosting as well and this week it was Gary or rather last week it was Gary Neville who was yes. hosting and it, there's a and it's gone viral on Twitter ine- inevitably on and you know, on various sort of social media sites where Ian Hislop really put Gary had Neville on the spot and said you know it's all very well sitting here laughing along but you know why are you doing this is this not hypocrisy that you are a, you know a good advocate on social issues and he are taking all this money to go to Qatar. And Gary Neville did not have an answer. It was no. all kind of very awkward. And Ian Hislop didn't let him go. And in the end, there was no real conclusion because he sort of squirmed and giggled a bit and didn't know what to say. And that is... I mean, I'm not I'm not one of these people that wants to criticize that there, there is a there is a view sometimes that you can criticize people saying, oh, well, you're a footballer. You should just think about football and or, or you're a musician. What have you got to say about social issues? Naturally, I'm not really a fan of that as an approach. I'm not a fan of shutting people down like that. I, you know, people are people are people, aren't they? People are complicated. Everyone, everyone has their own views and their own opinions, regardless of what they're what they're doing in their professional life. So I'm not anti that at all. Having said that, if you are going to be, you know, a, an advocate on, on social issues, and I had to say Gary Neverland and I think it was Ryan Giggs, the football hotel that they've got, 
they participated essentially in the everybody in scheme during the pandemic, which was what sort of social housing and, and council housing and the government scheme that basically everybody that was homeless would be taken in and given temporary accommodation. And they did a lot around that. They did a lot around allowing NHS workers to quarantine there. You know, they've done great. You know, Ghana has done great things. Having said that, if you're going to do that publicly and talk on those things publicly, you should expect to be challenged on it if you do other things that do not com- that aren't compatible with that. I think so. I think Ian Hisdock was right to question him, and you know I get that that that's what they do for a living, that they commentate, and and you know despite the fact that many of us, including you and me, don't want this to be taking place in Qatar, it is so. So you could argue well they have to go and do that. Having said that though, what are you how are you going to use your position to speak out? And what are you going to do with, I have to say, the blood money that you're going to get as a result? And I do consider this to be blood money. Yes, I think, Gary, yes, Gary Neville's defence is very feeble on this. Yes, it uh, is, as absolutely, you rightly say. yes. Um, as you rightly say, stumbling on, have I got news for you? I saw the clip. Um, he, he says he's going to highlight the human rights issues um, while he's out there, which is a really dud excuse. Yes, it is. Rather. I, I have less of an issue. Maybe I'm being unfair. I have less of an issue with David Beckham allegedly, allegedly gathering in 10 million pounds for promoting Qatar. Um <sighs> Big, but the thing with Bex is he never you can't really accuse him of double standards because he no, never really gets involved with social issues so he's always a bit avaricious isn't he really so, so I mean I have to say I do find it having said that though you say he never gets involved in social issues he has been a UNICEF ambassador for many years and has mm. involvement in soccer aid um you feel like saying yeah, I don't know. I, I still am a little bit sort of frowny about it, I must admit. I admit that he's not as 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 political as Gary Neville. Having said that, he still does do things for good causes. And, and of course, let's not forget the, the, the WikiLeaks, I think it was, the email leaks a few years ago, yeah. which, which you know, he was very keen to get a knighthood for all his good works, wasn't he? That's so perhaps him ever since, hasn't it? Really? Hasn't I'm it? Sure he probably hasn't would have it? Got one. Yeah. I was yeah. very disappointed by that. I mean, Me unfortunately, I, I, it, it was just, you know, it was one of those things where, because I've always rather liked David Beckham. I've always been mm. a bit of a defender of David Beckham. And yet, you know, it is a little bit sort of... um. I, I hate to say it because I think he's probably a, I, he comes across as a very nice man. Having said that, it's a little bit you know he it, 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 it seems a bit of an empty vessel sometimes. It's like he's just happy to be trotted out to front things, and that and, and in a way you know I can see your point actually. I can see your logic that that is less disappointing and surprising than a Gary Neville doing what he's doing. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see what. I'd be also interested to see one of the the, the commentators that. I've really grown to really like over the last few years, who's who's made some good documentaries, who's got some really interesting things to say and had some interesting things to say during the women's world, the women's Euros last year is Ian Wright. So I'll be mm. very interested to see if Ian Wright is going to going to sort of speak passionately. I'd be, I, I'm watching him. I think he might have some interesting things to say. Yeah, I think bottom line is neither David Beckham nor Gary Neville need the money um, yes, for exactly. this, and I, I wish they hadn't taken it. Yes, same. Coming right up, the rise, fall, rise and fall of James Corden. Mm. Um, that's next, up to Courtney Barnett.
fabulous. I'm such a huge fan. I, I consider to be slightly heroic, actually, in that she is a you know an openly gay woman in public life. She shambles on stage, having dressed up to look like a bit of a rock star, but her hair is a little bit unkempt and she looks a little bit chaotic and a mess. And to be honest, Terence, I find that very relatable. So I'm always <laughs> quite a, quite a huge fan of uh, of of her in general. I think her lyric. She's one of the best modern lyricists. I think for me, she's she's really. Um, they're really sort of shrewd and wry, but yet tender and caring and funny. I mean, I think she's just fabulous. And so I could have picked any number of Courtney Barnett songs, but I chose this from her Symphony of Split Peas um, EP, which was a, a compilation. It was the first sort of major release from her. that it, it compiled two EPs, both of which had excellent titles. I've Got a Friend Called Emily Ferris is the first one. <laughs> and the second one was How to Carve a Carrot into a Rose. So they were compiled into this into this LP. And that sent her on her way. She's released several acclaimed albums since. Um, that that's Don't Apply Compression Gently by Courtney Bonnet. Great title. I hadn't heard it before. I, I love that her middle name is Melba. It's uh, great, isn't it? Named yeah, after Nelly Melba, who we only <laughs> mentioned the other week. Absolutely. What it's a stick on for more exciting and relevant in Nelly Melba content kids. But yeah, she's, um, uh, she tweets as Courtney Melba. And for ages, I thought, oh, why is she tweeting as Courtney Melba? I thought it was like some pun or something. And no, yeah. that is her middle name, which is great. And she, she set up, she released a lot of stuff on her own label, which is Milk Records. I know that she's distributed on other labels throughout the world, but still living in Australia, I think. I mean, still, still sort of, yeah, just, just I, I admire that she hasn't sold out in my view. And she's very, um, yeah, just very talented and, and very sort of very fun as well. So uh, so it was it was yeah, it was really good to see her perform. For a young chap, James Corden has had a, a checkered, very checkered up and down career. Indeed. Almost out of nowhere, he devised with Ruth Jones, the warm, hugely popular yes. show, Gavin and Stacey. Which is brilliant. Exactly. And then but they'd made some odd career choices starring oh, in yes. the woeful lesbian vampire killers oh. and a dismal sketch show with his Gavin and Stacey co-star Matthew Horn. Yes. But then in 2015, the chance to host the Late Late Show on mm. CBS, which has been a massive success. Yeah. Uh, but we've got a, another but then because but then we see another downturn with his writers apparently recently nicking jokes from Ricky Gervais and Noel Fielding and the widely reported contretemps in a mm. New York restaurant, a roller coaster ride of a career so far, Jules. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, the best thing to come out of the the, the Late Show was his carpool karaoke. That was mm. that was excellent. I mean, the Adele one is of course the best ever. But I've I've very although there is a great one where he has Chris Martin from Coldplay who tries to describe his knowledge of sport it's not huge <laughs> i will tell you that now but um yeah it's an old one isn't it i remember james corden even pre gavin and stacy he was in lots of things on t he was he mm. was a history boy of course he was one of the many alumni from from alan bennett's history boys uh, that was a, uh, that was the play that was then adapted into the film and he was good in that i thought but he seemed to get stuck in those sort of overgrown schoolboy roles for some years i remember him being in something called fat friends on itv that was i think a k-mela thing about um about a sort of slimming world type group and i think Ruth and, jones was in that as well wasn't yes she? which is probably how they met isn't it so 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 he seemed to be one of those sort of jobbing English TV actors for, for some time. Um, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? I would not have predicted him 
making a, such a success of the, of, the, of the American chat show. Yet he seems to have done so. But having said that, it feels like stories of him not behaving terribly well in his in his sort of personal life always seem to pop up. There was a story on Pop Bitch about um, how there was a, a, a hoo-ha on a plane where he was complaining about noise of, uh, you know, he seemed unhappy noise that a child was making nearby and was moved to first, and there was a mother tending to the child and he was moved to first class. And then the punchline is at the end of the, um, at the end of the, the flight, it then emerged that that was in fact his partner and child. Right, so, if, so, that, if that's so, true, that is yes. really poor, I mean, it's jaw-dropping, isn't, it? isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah, if that is true. Having said that, Pop Bitch have full-time lawyers, so, so I sense <laughs> that there might be a ring mm. of truth about that. And it's interesting, isn't it, in that maybe part of the appeal of James Corden, I think he does have a certain appeal to some, is also part of his downfall. And it's the same with all of us, isn't it? Our biggest strength is often our biggest weakness. Mm. His biggest strength has always been that there is something of the everyman about him. And uh, particularly when he was younger, he was very overweight. And there was always this kind of you were sort of encouraged to root for this slight loser, weren't you? And this slight sort of, um, the word man baby is used a lot now. And this idea that there was something sort of childish about him that kind of made us sort of want, that he was sort of the unhappy outcast that lots of us were when we were younger. And that, and I can see I can see that. But then, of course, what's, what's you know, his downfall in terms of these kind of stories is he's because he is that outsider that has suddenly been allowed onto the inside, he seems to have lost sight of the outsider that he was. Well, this is the perception I get. Obviously, I've never met mm-hmm. James Corden. I don't know if this is true or not, but I get the impression that he suddenly has become rather seduced by the world that he is in. And disappointingly has gone from someone who you sort of wanted to root to because he was our representative on the inside in some sense, you could argue. And is now, you know, and, and has now become everything, now become everything that shut him out previously. That's the impression I get anyway. And and if the stories of these bad behaviour are true, they're disappointing, aren't they? Because he was someone who sort of has accidentally become far more famous than one would have expected, but seems to be taking that and himself seriously. I've never met James Corden and have no insight into his personality, but I have seen him in two theatrical productions. One, you mentioned mm. the History Boys when he was much younger, but yeah. also in the National Theatre run um, of One Man, Two Governors. Oh, and now this was, is the one that he gets rave reviews for, it, isn't it? I've never actually abs- seen this. Oh, he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, absolutely superb comedy acting. And quite rightly, he won a Tony for his performance on Broadway mm. when it... Transferred yes, I hear. That, I hear that he's he's marvellous in this. I, it, I'm not trying to absolutely outstanding. Um, I have I have a little sympathy for James Corden for the reported okay. alleged behaviour in Balthazar in New York. Yeah, I mean, go on. If this had happened before the age of the internet and certainly before social media, it might just have been at most. Um, let's see, a tiny snippet item in the gossip section of the Daily Express. True, true. That is but true. In today's world, it spreads across the world and. As there seems to be no CCTV footage, it's mm. hard to find the reality between the, the owner, yes, Keith true. McNally, saying Corden was abusive and extremely nasty to staff. But Corden says in his own description of himself, he was a little ungracious. And there's a there's a big gap between. Yes, that, that's very true. Having said that, though, I'm going to push back a little bit on mm. that. I absolutely see your point. <laughs> Having said this. 
maybe it's a useful reminder to us all. I used to go to these these business network meetings. Mm. It was a very strange cult in some ways, but I met some very nice people there and and heard some interesting things. And I remember someone saying to us all once as a kind of a a, a sort of a, a like a general sort of talk on his philosophy on things. How you do anything is how you do everything. And I thought that was a really nice phrase. I like that. And maybe it is worth considering this in this context to say, yes, you know, it's it's tricky, isn't it, to know what the truth actually is. Having said that, there is something that I slightly dislike about the idea that you've got a very nice public persona and very friendly and things. And yet when you think people aren't watching you, you can be very rude to people who are in a position that are lesser to you. I always judge people that are rude to serving staff because I just think it shows an insight into people's character. And I absolutely take your point that we're not sure where on the scale he fell. And it is a large scale. Having said that, it is worth considering that if you are a public figure, you are under scrutiny. In fact, when it comes to dealing with menial sort of workers, we should all be under scrutiny, I think. Yes. It's tricky, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, you reminded me of an incident I'm going to tell against myself, I think. But Oh, the, Terence. But the thing is, no. I can never judge you. We all have off days. Let's say that. We well, all this have is off what days. I'm thinking. Well, yeah, well, I, yes. wasn't, I wouldn't say I wasn't really rude, but I just, I'll, I'll tell the story. But I just say that, you know, if it's been notable that like dozens and dozens of other restaurateurs have not come forward and said, Oh, well, oh, he that's was right. That interesting. Me. That's so, interesting. You know, and that's how I tie this in with myself because I know there's never an excuse to be rude to waiters and waitresses. And mm. it's a, well, it's a, it, actually it's a lesson I learned. It was only a few years ago. I didn't, I would say this was a one-off for me, but I, I still would say I wasn't rude, but I wasn't. No. Abusive. But there was an instant where to use, um, James Corden word. I think I was ungracious. I mm. was with I was with my family at the Runnymede Hotel and we ordered a round of drinks before lunch. Yes. And a couple of them came back wrong. The drinks came back wrong. And uh, because I don't drink alcohol, I generally ask for a um, a diet coke without ice. Uh, I don't like ice. It dilutes the drink. You know, as it melts and you then got uh, sort of watery yes, coke. Yes, you know? okay. no, so, I understand that. But the number of times waiters and waitresses waitresses don't seem to get the yes. no ice thing. Yes. And um, anyway, our drinks came, wrong wine um, came back and ice in my Diet Coke. And what I did was I sort of tutted and I frowned and I kind of moaned in a limited way, just kind of like, oh, God, but that's not what we ordered, you know, mm. but I wasn't rude. I, no swearing or anything. But then the, the very young waitress went away to fix them and I suddenly felt almost immediately incredibly guilty because mm. the waitress who brought the drinks wasn't the one who took the order for a oh, start. I see, yes. And in any case, it's, it, it's, you know, I suddenly realised, you know, what are you doing? It's such a triviality, some ice and a drink, for goodness sake. You know, why did I give her even a mildly hard oh, time? I mean, it's, so it's tricky, I apologize though, isn't it? when she what came back and she was very gracious and everything was fine. Oh, that's fun. lovely. But... I was thinking, but the, my point is, I think if that had been someone famous, e.g., James Gordon, instead yes. of me, I can see how it could have been reported in a very sort of blazing headline. By yes, a, yes, a, okay, a that's a fair point. Maybe with yeah, Mr. fair point. Well, that's um, that's the ups and downs today, and we reach James Gordon's latest project, a six-part series on Amazon Prime, Mammals. Uh, written by Jez Butterworth, and mm. we've watched the first episode. It, it, the, the, well, the first thirty seconds, Jules, 
all upbeat music and charming dialogue. Yes. I thought, oh, this is going to be like a Richard Curtis movie. Yes. Jules, I was wrong. You were absolutely wrong. And I think that was part of the point of it. Now, unfortunately, I had I didn't know exactly what the plot was, but I had seen some reviews of this before I watched it. And I try to avoid things. Mm. But this does seem to have been reported very widespread. Um, it's had a lot of coverage. Um, so I know that it got absolutely stinking reviews. I've read oh, some has really, it? I didn't yes, know that. It, it got some really stinking reviews, oh, okay. and it's getting some stinking reviews by the public as well on things like Rotten okay. Tomatoes. Although maybe part of that is just dislike for James Corden. I don't right, know. Right. Um, so I thought I'll watch this. I'll try and watch this with an open mind. Mm. I was quite surprised that Jez Butterworth was involved, who's mm. seen as, uh, you know, obviously he, he wrote Jerusalem, which is seen as one of the great modern plays. And so I just thought this is this is quite a strange thing, isn't it? I saw that the excellent Sally Hawkins, who I rate very, very highly, was in this as well, playing James Corden's sister. And I thought, well, I'll try this and see. Also very encouraged by the fact that the first episode, is they're, they're 24 minutes long, so you can just skip through them. So mm. so I thought, oh, well, this is fine. I'll just, I can watch this. I, I would never bluff and pretend something that I've watched that I hadn't, so tea, that's never happened. But I no, just thought, no, oh, I, no, I will no. watch this. I'll watch this. So, so I sat and watched it. Um, I would say it it suffers a little bit. There's very much a tendency now in 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 modern sort of program making and think there's always trends, isn't there, in modern program making? So somebody makes something that is successful and then and then all of a sudden everybody tries to make that thing. We seem to be living in an age, and I don't know if it's COVID and the pandemic and the general mm-hmm. age that we're living in that's done this. Where we're living in the age of the kind of the dramedy, aren't we? Where or, or, or used to be the comedy drama, except it's quite dark. So we lived through this age where people are trying to. And am I being unreasonable with Daisy May Cooper in it? Is is similar? I think in that you'll be watching something and they both have very similar first episodes and that you're watching something that you think is going to be quite fun and then something massive happens within the first five to ten minutes that changes the perception of everything and actually massive things kept happening in this there were two or three different shifts as to what happened including i have to say an excellent ending which i didn't see coming mm. a million miles off the last two words absolutely mm-hmm. flipped the thing even further which i thought which i liked i didn't hate this as much as i thought i would and as much as the the, the thing that the, the reviews have prepared me to it's i find the dramedy trend a little bit uneven i must admit it feels a little bit to me like these sort of programs they're trying to reflect i suppose how life is often darkly funny at the same time as being deeply chaotic but having said that i find it a little bit i find the shift sometimes a bit jarring this had a very bizarre cameo appearance from tom jones in it which i didn't quite i didn't see how that fitted really as much as i like tom jones so tom jones I, i i didn't see how that fitted it was very dependent upon Corden's everyman appeal and us trying to be sympathetic for the sort of nightmarish world which suddenly were, uh, opened up for him. I will probably, I, I will probably watch more of these just because I thought the storylines were so interesting in the ways that they were developing that I might, I might give this a few more goes because they're so short. You can just sort of sit in and watch them. I, it was, it was odd. This, it was a very odd confection, but it wasn't without without some appeal i found myself watching it despite not really knowing why i was watching it so so i might watch it again i'm not sure how much of an endorsement that is sati though i don't know how to read about it it was very odd 
It is, it's described by Amazon as darkly comedic. And in this first episode, the accent was firmly on the dark, I felt. Yes. Um, in my notes, I scribbled that a lot happens in the opening five minutes. And then I kind of crossed that out because a lot happens in the half hour. Yes, that's um, true. Or 24 minutes of, uh, yeah. or so of episode one. It's beautifully filmed. Um, much uh, much darker and sadder than I expected. I, I yes. didn't see much comedy in it at all. Um, I think here's one hallmark of a good actor for me. It took me maybe two or three minutes to believe I'm not watching James Corden and I'm yes, believing in his good, character, actually, Jamie yes, Buckingham. Was it? Um, it's extraordinary, extraordinary writing and directing. I too um, didn't quite get the juxtaposition of um, Jamie. Uh, the character meeting Tom Jones. Um, mm. It was at the same time as discovering messages on a mobile phone. I mean, that that was sort of like brilliantly done that he's meeting yes, Tom Jones. Yes, it was. Jones. It so just landed out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But quite why Tom Jones was there is never fully explained. No. And as you say, this first episode uh, concludes with an absolutely devastating last line. But I was so I was so transfixed by this. Uh, it really did affect me, this show. And this just okay. rarely happens to me. It oh, very rarely happens. My heart was beating fast. Literally, physically, my heart was beating fast. And, you know, um, the, the, you know that, that the phrase that has crept in in recent years of being triggered. And I've, I'll be honest, I've never quite fully understood mm. that. I got it in this. I was triggered oh, that's by interesting. this because mm. it reminded me, and I can't go into too much detail in case people no, watch no. this because it'll give the plot away, but it reminded nothing to do with my life now, which is thankfully lovely and settled and joyous. Hooray. But Hooray. <laughs> 25 years ago, I went through a very similar thing to this and ah, it was... Um, I am sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, because it Sounds really grim. did. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of it for years, and I'll be honest, it really brought back the sort of horror and sadness that God. I had about twenty-five mm. years ago. Um, I mean, maybe when the whole thing's you know been aired for a few weeks, so maybe I'll come back and explain what I yes. mean. This uh, is my private life, but I don't mind talking about it. But mm. I don't want to go into too much detail because it really mirrored what goes on here. So. Uh, so transfixed that I went on to binge watch all six episodes on Friday evening and I found it compelling and unsettling, but beautifully done. And I tell you what, you think the twist, uh, we think the twist at the end of the first episode is devastating. My word, the very, very final twist at the end of episode six just took my breath oh okay well i, just, I will definitely I just sat stick on there with at then. the end and went whoa what yeah absolutely. i actually said out loud i just went whoa so um i i really um i loved it uh in a horrible oh, okay. in a horrible unsettling dark triggering way i couldn't take my eyes off it I, wow I, well in which case then i take that as a recommendation i will try that recommendation mammals uh six 30 minute ish episodes it went live on amazon prime on november the 11th 2022 all i will say is though if you are in the middle of a difficult or a breaking up relationship don't watch it right now. Might not be for you. No, no, quite. OK. Coming next, Leslie Phillips and the place of bawdy carry-on style humour in mm. 2022. That's right after Bessie. OK.
almost to my windowsill. Better live in satin linen and a sleeping pill. The lights are drowning me, my feelings are not even real. So indulged in this hopeless mentality. I poke the coating off of each deceitful eye confined. Nose is like Pinocchio, the truth is divine. My eyes are 20-20 vision at night. The world ain't versatile enough for my mind. Watch me write a symphony. The notes of my piano flowing naturally. Criticism never did that much to me And that's what ultimately Mellow yellow sky, it's a different day Watching my mind run away, way, way, way The wires don't connect the little dots in my brain They all say that I'm an alien I shine bright like the North Star But I open up slow like a sports car Emotions so deep but my soul's dark Hitting the feelings of the whole park I shine bright like the North Star But I open up slow like a sports car Emotions so deep but my soul's dark I'm feeling like a modern day Mozart Someone to lift me right out of this cage People that said I should quit and behave Still live in my mind Am I a daughter made of love now? Cause I'm starting to wonder now If I was mothered at all I'm feeling invisible Maybe I'm Casper the ghost Life is a joke, life is a joke It's funny how I've been getting by on my own Not taking it seriously That's how the flowers will grow Happiness, I'm tired of making it small Keep handing my powers away, way The fire that lives in my body Is only a poem away, way I'm tired of making it small Keep handing my powers away, way The fire that lives in my body Is only a poem away Now listen, I'm tired of making it small Keep handing my powers away Hours away, way the fire that lives in my body is only a poem away. I shine bright like the North Star, but I open up slow like a sports car. Emotions so deep, but my soul's dark. Hidden the feelings of the whole park. I shine bright like the North Star, but I open up slow like a sports car. Emotions so deep, but my soul's dark. I'm feeling like a modern day Mozart. hit on BBC Introducing and also a first appearance at uh, Glastonbury last year. Uh, this is her latest single, based in Brighton on the uh, south coast mm. of England, Bessie and Modern Day Mozart. Oh, that's good. I, I, I wasn't familiar with her, despite the fact that I spent quite a lot of time in Brighton. I wasn't familiar with her or, or her music. I enjoyed this. I thought it was good. I would like to hear more. Mm. Uh, with the death of 
Leslie Phillips this week. We really are mm. seeing the closure of an era of a particular type of comedy actor. Um, Wilfred mm. White, Richard Wattis, Derek Guiler, Terry Thomas, and yes. Leslie Phillips. Chaps yeah, uh, Terry who, Thomas was 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 the first book. It, no, yes. it entered my brain when you started speaking about that. Yeah, exactly. Chaps who, no, no matter what role they were cast in, always played the same character. Yes. Um, often spread over dozens of films. If you booked Leslie Phillips for your movie, you knew what you were going to get. Getting. A Absolutely. chap playing a, a sort of semi posh smoothie, always a little too old for the part, who would try and woo yes. some young gal. Um, generally leading to failure as she decided to date a character played by Dirk Bogard instead. <laughs> but, so but rather funny. like rather like Kenneth Williams, he he came from humble beginnings. His father worked yes. in a factory, and also like Williams, he masked his background by adopting a fancy upper crust speaking. Well, he voice. learned how to speak proper, didn't he? And that's he how really a lot did. of those people yes, he, did. He, he, really did um, the, the, he and Williams both um, took elocution lessons as mm. young um, teenagers, and it was um, Leslie Phillips' posh accent that led to him actually being commissioned into officer training in the second world. Oh, that's second incredible. World. That's, that isn't, doesn't that say so much about the artifice of those worlds that because you can quote unquote speak proper, you are yes. therefore seen as a decent, competent chap and exactly Indeed. the sort of officer material, even though if they dug a little further into it, he probably wasn't what they wanted at all. It's very weird, isn't it? Well, just as a side issue on that front, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, I've been reading the three enormous volumes of Chips Channon's diaries. Oh, um, yes. Who married, in, married into the Guinness family in the 1930s. And yes. he was an American who mm. um, went, went to France during the First World War and then came mm. here and had an American accent. And immediately he came to England and went to Oxford University. He changed his accent uh, to a real upper crust uh, English fellow. And of course, as mm. I say, then married into aristocracy and became a member of parliament and one wonders if he'd have stuck with his original uh, Chicago accent yes quite <laughs> same thing yes <laughs> uh, to get back to Leslie Phillips George I wonder if you feel the same way um for me for me there's something heartwarming and charming about a bleak Sunday afternoon you turn on the television and there's some old black and white film with Lely, Leslie Phillips yes. playing some sort of cad saying I say or, you yeah, know all very, over the place very much agree him Terry Thomas that like you say all of those sort of people yes sometimes and actually I think there is a whole sort of channel that's based on exactly this the excellent talking pictures which we've discussed yes. before that's full of stuff like this which weirdly and I think we'll go on to talk about this you don't see so much on occasionally you still see it on BBC2 and um, there's also funny enough the same name talking pictures is the name of a sort of a documentary strand on, on BBC2 that's often shown initially narrated for many years by the brilliant Sylvia Sims and now I think that the narrator is Celia Rimri instead. She's done the, the couple of recent ones uh, where they, they talk about, sometimes they'll focus on a particular actor, sometimes they'll focus on a particular genre of film. I suspect they have done something about this sort of thing where, you know, they show clips and they show archive interviews and it's, you know, obviously it, it's it's a softer type of documentary but they're worth watching if you're interested in film. I've learned quite a lot about film from just watching these because you see a lot of footage that you might not necessarily see very much of nowadays. I'm sure if you watched it, Tony, you'd know a lot about this kind of stuff because you'd live through it whereas for people like me who are interested but don't necessarily have that lived experience it's great to watch but um yeah i completely agree with you even though 
you know, it's different to some of my tastes. There is something hugely comforting about throwing on talking pictures and particularly the BBC recognised this, I think, during the pandemic and, and, you know, 2020 particularly and then early 2021. They went through showing lots of classic films and lots of episodes of talking pictures on Saturday afternoons. And there was some, there was a great joy in watching these sort of films. Some of them were the classic musicals and some of them were these sort of films. And to just watch, it's just escapism, isn't it? Just to, just to watch, you know, uh, Leslie Phillips or, or Terry Thomas sort of, you know, again, sort of, even though they, even though they spoke with these kind of RP accents, again, they were fairly open, I think, about the fact that this is this is what they'd done. And to go back to what I was saying about James Corden, I think it's always, despite them t- talking in their sort of smooth accents, it's always quite easy to relate to the Leslie Phillips and the Terry Thomases of this world because once you know their sort of backstory of having come from very little and sort of gate crashing that world i always will them on in those films I, i'm always a little bit sad when when she goes off with dirt bogard instead <laughs> if you take a look at uh, leslie phillips filmography and tv appearances absolutely overwhelmed mm. with work from the 1950s right through to the early 2000s he worked throughout didn't he those those, those blokes so. yes they was playing the same role mostly you <laughs> yes. could say the same about david jason as well couldn't you really on tv yet they keep getting the work because they're really good at what they do they're good at being the version of them that they present it, it, it may be a little bit of a reach with Leslie Phillips that he's often remembered for his appearances in the Carry On films, as he was yes. only cast in a handful of them. He is not, remembered for them, though, I think. But yeah, exactly. Nonetheless, he played the same character again yes. in a rather posh, smooth young it's, fellow. It, with, the Ding Dong is, of yeah, course, what everybody remembers him for. Always with designs on a young lady. But this did this led me to thinking this week about the whole Carry On film mm. franchise. Um, they never seem to go away. And this in the light no. project was it was postponed because of the pandemic, but which has been re-established this year and which rather perhaps grimly proposes to use Barbara Windsor as a hologram from old footage in a new oh. series of carry on films being filmed apparently as we speak. Now the older carry on movies are always with us. As you say, on any given day, it feels like you can switch on uh, mm. pictures or ITV three. Um, and there's Bernard Breslau and Sid James, you know, cackling away, but in a, I'm just wondering, Jules, in a, in a more perhaps enlightened era, is there any merit in these in these carry-on films? Well, when you say that the new carry-on films are being, being made, I can almost see the Daily Mail and Daily Express headlines in front of my eyes, which mm. is, you know, are the carry-on films um, not woke enough for the snowflake generation? <laughs> you can see it, can't you? You can see you can. the way this is going to yes. be reported. Yes. I mean, so I come to this, and, you know, I, I suppose you know, regular listeners might identify me as a member of the Wide Awoke Club. But um, I come, I can't, I mean, even though, you know, I, I'm not as tedious as everybody thinks I am, can I just say to start off with. But um, I I come to this from the perspective of somebody who, and I, you know, and I get that the carry-ons have become a sort of quite an, quite an important aspect, like them or not, of one part aspect of British cultural life, I would say. And I've never found them funny, Terence. They've never appealed to me. Really? I've never, right. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't mean that as in I'm looking down on them. I've tried yeah. to watch them because I like a lot of the people in them. Jones, uh, uh, Joyce Sims, uh, um, uh, what's her surname? It's gone right on my head. Joan, no, Joan. Joan Sims, not Joyce. Joan Sims, Sims and Joyce, and uh, was there was Joyce in them as well? Patty not Jakes. Joyce. That's it. Elizabeth yeah, Fraser. yeah, exactly. Yeah, all of those people. I have so much time for and and you know and 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 
and and I absolutely I love the sort of like you say the the comforting aesthetic of you know watching all these old greats just kind of you know in their heyday. I've just never found them funny or appealing. And again, this is me slightly judging, but often when I come across a lot of people who do absolutely love them, I've I've come across so many tedious men that love the Carry On films, yes. and and I just and I and I re and you know and it becomes a little bit. There is more wit and invention to them than stuff like Mrs Brown's Boys, but I don't think Mrs Brown's Boys would exist without the Carry Ons, and I think this is the problem with lots of major franchises and innovations. They spark such poor imitations, and particularly when you're doing something like the Carry On, which they're they're more knowing than they're than they're portrayed as I think when you watch well, I have seen a couple and one thing I have found to like in them is that like a lot of British a situation comedy of that era it makes me think of stuff like Dad's Army and Forty Towers they're about class as they as much mm-hmm. as they are about bawdiness and rudeness but the sort of slightly more knowing aspects of the Carry On films are always distorted maybe that's part of our press and our national culture they become about Barbara Windsor's clothes falling off don't they than they do yeah. about about other aspects and and so and, and yet when people want to ape the carry-ons they ape the most basic aspects and that what that's what the cultural conversation becomes about so i think maybe i don't have a problem with the carry-on films as such i have a problem with the tedium that they kind of spawn and i think you could compare it in a way and i guess you know this is what is often criticized as Britpop trying and the Britpop era and the Cool Britannia era in the 90s mm. harking back to the 60s and the 70s um it's written about in john harris's excellent the last party and in other sort of books on the period as well in that the nadir of that whole sort of era was blur's country house video where blur having started off as quite a a knowing sort of band that had a sort of slightly raised eyebrow about aspects of great great british culture quote unquote the video to country house is it's a depressing watch. It was a depressing watch at the time. And it's depressing now. And Graham Cox and the guitarist nearly left Blur at that point because it was directed by Damien Hirst, I think. And it became about chasing page three girls around a giant board game. And, and it just it became about the basest, the basest aspects. And even those of us that really like a lot of early Britpop music, it just became about loaded. And as Graham Coxon put it so brilliantly about lad culture, it was OK to kick somebody's head in as long as you could write an essay about it. It became very sort of um, it became very distorted from something quite interesting to something that's just very basic and depressing and regressive, really. So I'm not necessarily criticising the carry on films in themselves, although some of them have not aged well. It's just that people people don't see the full kind of picture about them and the full aspects about them and it just you know the conversation around them is narrowed to something very basic and tedious in my view because i'm quite a pompous person I, <laughs> really <laughs> yeah I, I i i i know it um i never really i wouldn't say you were city i'm going to defend you a little bit <laughs> thank in this you aspect. i never really enjoy never have enjoyed below the waist humor i yes. just find it a bit excruciating and fair enough you no, know I don't sort disagree, of yeah. four-year-old kind of thing um the success of the carry-on films quite a quirky thing hard to explain they're very british difficult to imagine them being successful say in the in american America. market yeah, yeah they wouldn't translate 
debate, I suspect. No, in terms of sexism, of which there is plenty, Mm. I think the only saving grace is that usually the men's fumbling methods fail and the women generally raise their eyebrows and rebuff. Yeah, usually the men come out Mm. of it as the idiots, by and large. But um, the the racism of the Little Englander of the 1960s, that's Mm. harder to let go as well. No, and I haven't watched enough of this to have this sort of Mm. view of them, really. So no, I take your point on that, yeah. Fair bit of blacking up and... I mean, as we know, I'm broadly against censorship, so I'd let them stand as a documented yes. sample of less enlightened times. But uh, we don't, we certainly don't need new ones, though. No, <laughs> and it do, and it does worry me. And, I, and actually, although I was sort of eye rolling at the Daily Mail and the Daily Express, mm. I do I, I do have a serious point in that. In that it's kind of, and, you know, I completely agree with you on the sexism and the racism in that. And, mm. and but but they're sort of adopt they're adopted by people who I think do have an agenda. And I, I'm just concerned this has become yet another culture war when they come back and yet another sort of, you know, an excuse to behave badly, I think. And I think I, I find that really difficult. Yeah. Um, we see, see, I think I, I, to be honest with you, I can't see them being very successful. I just think today's generation wouldn't be interested in seeing well, Barbara and, and Winter it, as a hologram in a well, new lineup of carry on people. Well, we'll and see. it'd be interesting to see. Like you say, the, the people that it might not appeal to young people, but I suspect that's probably true. It'd be interesting to see how much of a cultural in, influence, influence that the young people, quote unquote, assert, and whether there is a, a big enough constituency of baby boomers to make this success. Will there be an audience out there for it? If it doesn't appeal to younger people, are there enough older people for it to appeal to? And it mm. harks back to when we talked about Boomer Radio, didn't we? And, and 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 you know, and that terrible opening monologue and the idea that you know people thinking that the boomers, uh, the quote unquote boomers. Sorry, I don't mean to use this as a, mm. as a you know as, as a as you know as an insult, but whether or not there is a big enough constituency of that, do they hold the power or are they raging against the dying of the light? Yes. Yeah, exactly so. Well, thank you very much for listening this week, whether you're deep sea diving or floating above the countryside in a large dirigible. It's lovely to have you along. Indeed, it's it's a pleasure to be with you. But, but we know whether or not you are a boomer or a zedder, we very much exactly. welcome you. Exactly. All welcome here. Um, anyone who listens to her radio shows would be tempted <laughs> to say, carry on, Juliet. Hey, very good. Hey. I thought you were going to go and say I'd be accused of being a baby boomer, given oh, that I play no. stuff that's mostly made from before I was born. Anyway, yes, very kind city as always. I host Smooth Sailing on Sunday evenings on Noisebox Radio, 7 to 9pm. Catch up on our Mixcloud. Um, and it's Yacht Rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, easy listening, classic pop, all that sort of stuff. Just, you know, a nice way to float along for a couple of hours. And... You can never go wrong in picking Aretha, Jules. Well, absolutely. And I finished last week's show with this. And for me, this is one of the best cover versions I think I've ever heard. And it's one of those cover versions. I think you could, I will make an argument that this is better than the original. I mean, you, people might not agree because the original, you know, by, by Simon and Garfunkel is seen as absolutely seminal. I've always found that a little bit overblown. And I really love this version because it's so unhurried. And it's I find it quite profound, actually. And Aretha Franklin is one of the great interpreters of other people's records. I think people forget that Say a Little Prayer was not her originally. It was um, it, it was um, uh, Dionne Warwick. And of course, Respect was not hers. It was Otis Redding's. She is she's a great interpreter of finding her own 
thing from other people's material. I adore this. I love the fact that her vocal doesn't really come in properly until halfway through. No one's in any sort of rush on this tune. <laughs> uh, brilliant backing vocals, as always, a real hallmark of her sound. And I just adore this. This is Aretha Franklin, Bridge Over Troubled Water.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Welcome to the phone-in. Our subject tonight is farming, and our first caller is from Reading. Hello. Hello, welcome to phone-in. What's your question to the panel? You're through now. Hello. Hello. Hello there, this is phone-in. What is your question? Is Vic there? Is Vic there? Is Vic there, Dr Rogers? Well, the problem here is a simple one. Uh, the caller wants to know if Vic is there. And in this case, Vic, as far as I can Can't tell... Can't you been here, Alan? Yes, yes, of course. I agree with what Rogers was going to say. As far as we can tell, Vic isn't here. The only thing she can do is to keep calling, and if Vic comes in, we'll let her know.